Hey Linkers, we're back. Thank you for your patience while Ruthie and I were taking a break for a bit. We already have three episodes recorded. This episode, Icarus Factor, and the following, Pen Pals, were recorded back in the summer. Q Who, we just did more recently a couple weeks ago. So we're catching up on editing and getting episodes out. We're glad to be creating episodes for you again. And thanks to those of you who reached out to us to let us know that you were waiting for them. We appreciate that. Two quick announcements at the time of recording this very introduction. Trek Talks 2, an event, is coming up this January the 14th, beginning at 9.45 a.m. Pacific Time, 12.45 p.m. Eastern Time. It's a day-long online telethon hosted by Trek Geeks, featuring your favorite Star Trek actors, from Jonathan Frakes to Anson Mount to Nana Visitor, in support of the Hollywood Food Coalition. It's a repeat of last year's Trek Talks event, which raised, I think, almost $60,000 for the Hollywood Food Coalition, if not more. And guess what? I, personally, will be joining the day. I'm on a panel with Jonathan Frakes, Armin Shimmerman, Kitty Swink, and Heidi Roddenberry to talk about Trektivism, how fandom can catalyze social change. I was moderating the panel last year. This year, I'll be uh, on the panel participating again. In particular, we'll be sharing the results of the amazing Star Trek community fundraiser we launched last August in support of the nonprofit that I founded called Esther's Echo. And with the support of fans like you and cast members like Kate Mulgrew, who are tweeting about it online, we raised almost $12,000 for the Women in Action Development Project, a locally founded and operated school in Sierra Leone run by our partner, Esther Kanu, whom I met while I was traveling overseas way back in 2004. This episode may get posted after the 14th, or you may be hearing this later than the 14th, but that's okay, because the event will be recorded and posted online, and you can find both the live stream or the posted recording on trektalks.net as part of the Trek Geeks podcast network. And a big thanks to those of you who donated to the Esther's Echo fundraiser. If you still want to contribute, we'll be reopening the fundraiser and its GoFundMe page from January the 14th to January the 21st in light of us being on Trek Talks. But you can always donate anytime at esterzecho.org and I'll make sure all the links are in the description. I'm so excited about what happened literally watching my space heroes that I grew up with beam in in like a real life away team to support the project. It was one of the coolest things that have ever happened to me. Uh, secondly, when we recorded Icarus Factor, there was an issue we realized afterward with Ruthie's microphone. So her audio on this one is a little bit wonky, but it returns to regular audio quality in the next episode. So apologies for that. So we'll jump into it. Thanks for being a part of our podcast adventure here on With the First Link on the Trek Geeks podcast network. Trek Geeks, nobody talks Trek like we do. Hello and welcome to With the First Link, the podcast that hopes to make our future as bright and as just as the one that we see in Star Trek The Next Generation. And we think that one way to do that is to recap and discuss the entire series one episode at a time, doing our best to look at it all through an anti-oppression, pro-diversity, anti-racist lens. I'm Ruthie Kaupersamoshi. And I'm Matthew Simone, and today we'll be talking about The Icarus Factor. This episode was written by David Assail and Robert McCullough, and directed by Robert Iskove. It first aired on April 22nd, 1989. For today's check-in, since this episode deals with Riker having to make a big career decision, let's talk about how we approach big decisions in our lives. I love it. How do you approach big decisions, Matthew? So actually, I had this thought in my mind, this idea of like of promotion 
and and stuff like Riker is, is feeling. And I saw this video that had come up on my phone called the Peter Principle. And it's this idea that someone will often be promoted one step beyond the job that they're actually best at. Oh, yes. So you might be like, say, a really good, the example that's given is like a mechanic. And you're like an expert mechanic and you can fix cars super well. And then as a result of that, you're promoted to like shop foreman. Right. But you're actually really bad at managing people. And this is no longer your skill set. But we just assume that you have to go like a step farther up. Mm. Now, it's probably not so much in the case here with Riker, but I thought about this with like Kirk. This is a big thing about like Kirk's backstory is that when he gets promoted to Admiral and he's out of the captain's chair, he's actually pretty miserable. Yeah. He doesn't really want to be doing that anymore. But I started thinking about how often we are pushed to always have to be going to that higher level. Yeah. And this this does become a thing in Riker's career. And we'll see it again next season when he's offered a captaincy again. Where, And, you know, he says toward the end of this episode, we'll get there. But it's like, even though the promotion is expected of me and I'm expected to become captain, maybe this is just where I'm meant to be. This is best for me. And when I'm making decisions around things like career and stuff like that, the few times that it's, it's this doesn't happen to me often, it's not like I'm always being offered new jobs or something. <laughs> but the few times that I've had to make like a tough career decision, I find that sometimes I may have led more with what's the expectation in terms of like career growth rather than saying like, no, I'm comfortable here. This is where I'm at my best. I'm, I can give my best self here. Yeah, that's that's important. I think there's something interesting in Star Trek and with Riker and as you said it'll come up again later but the idea of if you're a first officer that means you are on your way to become a captain and just yeah that expectation it's definitely something that I see in teaching that certainly not all teachers are like this but there is there can be an idea of like if you are a really good teacher you should want to be a department head and maybe you should want to be a vice principal and then a principal and obviously we need good department heads and administrators but we also need good teachers to be teachers in the classroom and yeah that doesn't mean you're not growing professionally or it, it doesn't mean that you're stagnant like as first officer of the enterprise Riker is confronted with new problems every day so it's not like he's just doing the same thing or you know it's not like he's going to get bored in that job I think one thing that I found really interesting in watching this episode is I actually identify a lot with how Riker makes his decisions that he kind of (laughs) this was funny do you remember in the Binar episode last season where he like they're all kind of on a break because they're doing upgrades to the ship and I said I related to Riker how he's just like walking around the ship talking to everybody because he doesn't know what to do with himself yeah he wants to get input and everything yeah Yeah, and I feel like that here too like I I very much identify with Riker he goes to Picard and I actually found what Picard did very useful that I don't necessarily need advice on which decision I should make but it is helpful to have someone kind of spell out what are your options and what would each of these options look like? And I think Picard is just written to be such a wonderful leader. Just that's kind of just how he is. But Mm -hmm. I think that what he does here is so helpful. He doesn't say you should take this job or you should 
stay here, he says, if you take the job, this is what it'll be. If you stay here, this is what that will be. And it's up to you to decide which of those two options you want. But the information he gives is information that Riker might not have had otherwise. Yeah, and he's very candid. He's very candid. And he's I think he's very helpful without saying, here's what you should do. We also get this little insight into Picard where he kind of lets his guard down for a bit. And he even gives like the little shush gesture. Yes. <laughs> and he's like, actually being a captain is pretty awesome. <laughs> like, yeah. you know, where he's yeah. like, it's, there is, there's nothing quite like having the reins of the ship. And he never really, Picard never really flexes his like, oh boy, I'm captain of the flagship. Like he doesn't really, no. he's not boastful. That's not really what he does. No. He's boastful of the ship of the crew, of the Federation, but he's never like, oh yeah, I'm the captain. But he lets down his guard here a little bit with Riker, and he's like, yeah, it may not be the most important ship in Starfleet. It may not be the most important ship out there doing the most important job, but it will be your ship. Yeah. And you'll get to shape that ship and the crew with your own style, your own leadership. And so this is this is important information for Riker, because then he gets to weigh that versus leaving the prestigious job that he has as yeah. as first officer of the flagship. Yeah. I find making decisions very hard. Me too. I, I often have decision paralysis and it, it feels to me that like decisions are impossible. How can you choose something when you don't <laughs> know what the outcome is going to be? Like without knowing the future, how yeah. do you know which choice is best? And throughout my life, I've I've had to come to understand that you, even if a decision in retrospect, may not seem like the best one. It's what did you know at the time? What's the information that you had at the time that you made that choice? And judge yourself by that. And that's what Riker's trying to do. He's trying to find the best information that he can at the time. Yeah, like that's that's what we see Riker do. And maybe the ship that he could have been captain of is going to go on to do this amazing mission. That doesn't mean that he was wrong to not take that promotion. Right, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and it's what's what's best for you at the time. Yeah. yeah. All right. Okay. In this episode, Riker is offered his own command and thinks about leaving the Enterprise while Worf's strange behavior worries Wesley Crusher. Yeah, Wesley Crusher is so good in this episode. He's great. Yeah, he wants to, he did so much sincerity about wanting to help his yeah. friend. So we start off, the Enterprise is en route to Starbase Montgomery for engineering consultations because there have been some minor readout anomalies. This is like a really, I think, sort of unimportant storyline, but it, it does provide some like comedy and it gives us a setting for the wharf storyline a little bit. Basically, Data and LaForge don't think the anomalies are significant in any way and Data says we can just reprogram the system and correct the problem. But Picard it turns out, has an ulterior motive for wanting to be at Starbase Montgomery. And he says that there are some personnel transfers happening. And then he says to Riker, oh, when you're finished with this, can can you meet me in the observation lounge? Yeah, and Riker is also surprised that they're stopping at this Starbase. Yeah. So Riker shows up at the observation lounge and, and Picard reminisces about Riker's manual docking of the saucer section when he first came on board, like, I, and I was thinking about this too, because I was like, I remember when we covered that in the podcast episode, <laughs> like a year and a half ago or yeah. whatever. And, and he said that he was a little miserly, he said in yes. his, in his praise of that maneuver. And he says, well, 
I can give you more praise now because you have been offered captaincy of the starship Ares. The captain is retiring and Riker has been selected as the replacement. Yes. So the ship is really far away. It's in the Vega Omicron sector. That's so far. It's so, so far. Is it? Is it far, Matthew? <laughs> oh, so far away. <laughs> they have picked up some indication of intelligent life. So it sounds like this is basically a first contact mission. But there, there's nothing confirmed. They don't. They don't have confirmation of this intelligent life. So there might be nothing there. But Picard says that Starfleet wants Riker there specifically because of his skill at exploring and his skill as a diplomat. Has that been demonstrated, do you think? I was thinking about this. I was like, have we known Riker as an explorer or diplomat much until this point? We have known him as, you know, as a kind of a fighter. We've seen him like jousting with with Worf in the in the holodeck and I think I feel like as a character they position him much more as like the kind of like the more aggressive yeah, this, the two. this so might like, be an oh, example really? of tell not show because all yeah. I can think of is the episode where Picard got stuck in the holodeck. He was supposed to like provide a greeting, but because he was stuck in the holodeck, he couldn't greet this species and Riker just yelled at the people that Picard was supposed to greet. <laughs> so I don't know that he's necessarily the most skilled diplomat so far that we've seen, but... But we'll take it. This we'll, is what we're, we're, we're being told, yeah. Yeah. So Riker has, he's got 12 hours. Riker has 12 hours to make this decision and to think it over. Uh, but Picard congratulates him either way. I think that's more, not to say that Picard is telegraphing his decision, but more just to say it's even great that you've been offered this. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah. So then we go into the intro. I guess this is one of the ones where we, we know what the episode's going to be about. That's nice. Yeah. And yeah. we come back from the intro. We're on the bridge. They have arrived at Starbase Montgomery, and Picard tells Riker that a civilian advisor, so not Starfleet, a civilian advisor with some specialized knowledge, is coming on board to brief him about the Ares mission. So Riker goes to the transporter room, and the transporter operator beams up a, an older man, and we get a little close-up on Riker's face as Riker says, Dad. So here yeah. we've got... Papa Riker on the transporter pad. And Riker's dad tells Riker yes. that he asked Picard not to tell Riker that he was the advisor coming on board about this mission because he didn't want him to be nervous or excited. And I thought that was not cool. No. Yeah, I think there was two there were two errors here. First of all, Riker's dad should not have requested that. And I don't think Picard should have granted that request either. Yeah, I feel like Picard is maybe in a difficult position to make the call to not grant that request but I agree with you I don't think he should have and especially I mean Kyle we find out his name is Kyle Riker so Kyle Riker shouldn't have made that request especially since we find out that it has been 15 years so like you know to have your first meeting with your kid after 15 years be a total surprise when they're already in the middle of trying to make a really big decision feels unkind. And also like in a way that it's not where, hey, I would like to come back into your life. Can we maybe have a talk? But in a position of authority where like you actually have to talk to me because it's a result of your duties. And you're like, oh, come on. Except we later see that the mission details are all on this like little USB stick. 
<laughs> yeah, they could have just been emailed. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. it's the whole thing is not cool, and I agree with you. It's there were two yeah. errors there. So Riker basically says, "Okay, yeah, hi," and then walks away and tells the transporter operator to arrange for an escort for his dad to to some quarters. That he's like, "Okay, I've greeted you. We'll have our briefing when you're settled in." And I'm not going to socialize with you. Yeah, in other words, I'm not going to bring you to your quarters myself. That is not happening. Yes. In the corridor outside now, some random corridor on the ship, yeah. we get the introduction of the B-plot, which is <laughs> that uh, Wesley approaches Worf and tells him pretty much everything that has just happened. I don't know how the knowledge got around the ship this quickly that Riker's dad has showed up. And, and that Riker didn't even know his dad was Riker didn't be there. know. Like, yeah, all this... There's no privacy on the Enterprise, like, whatsoever, no. as we've learned. Whether it's doctor-patient confidentiality, yeah. uh, like, counselor-patient <laughs> confidentiality, there's nothing. Everyone knows everything on the ship. So, uh, Wesley approaches Worf and is like, hey, Worf, did you hear that, like, Kyle Riker's on the ship? And that, like, Riker didn't even know. And then Worf's like, I never do my father. And then Wesley's trying to, I think, connect there in that moment. Yeah. He's like, well, I didn't have a father long enough to really know him either. And then Worf's like, it's a waste of time to think about such things. And Wesley keeps wanting to chat with him about it until Worf snaps and basically is like, be silent or something like that. And just kind of like walks away from him in the hallway. And Wesley's like, oh, gee, like what happened? What did I do? Yeah, I also want to point out that Wesley is talking like a mile a minute. Like this yeah, he's is so excited. This is one episode where the age difference between Wesley and the rest of the crew, I think is really clear in a really nice way like Wesley is just being so earnestly a teenager and they the rest of them like he interacts mostly with uh Data and LaForge and also Worf here right. that they are just not teenagers and it's yeah. the the contrast is so funny he's just so earnest he comes across so yeah. earnestly in this whole episode it's it is actually very sweet yeah Back in engineering, LaForge is telling the Montgomery engineers who are now like walking all over the ship yeah. that he really doesn't need this much help. And he's already checked the entire dilithium spectrum because they don't really go into what the anomaly is, but it looks like there's something up with the dilithium crystals. And or at least that's what the readings are telling them. And so they're and he seems a bit frustrated. Yeah, because he's quite sure that it was just a reading thing and that like if they just reprogram the system, like it'll be fine. But they're just you know, it's annoying to have someone looking over your shoulder and checking all of your work when you are quite sure that you haven't made a mistake. And, and Data at one point, I think this might have been a bit earlier, but Data at one point is saying, like, there may not be a need to go to the station. I think we can take care of this ourselves. Yeah. And even LaForge says, it's okay, Data. Like, I, my ego is not going to be hurt by this because we know that they take yeah. a lot of care over the engines so and yeah. make sure they're working properly. And I thought it was nice that in some ways, I think Data was trying to help or reassure Jordy and and uh, confidence in his own work and in taking care of the engines and saying, like, I think this is just a sensor glitch, you know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So Wesley then enters uh, engineering and he tells LaForge that he thinks Worf is upset about something and they have some back and forth and LaForge comments that Worf is not, you know, the most cheery person on the best day, but Wesley thinks he is really upset he doesn't think it's about losing Riker. He thinks there's something else going on. So then we step to 10 forward and it's Riker and O'Brien hanging out together. And yeah. It, they make it seem like, you know, it's like drinks with the buddy to try to like vent about stuff. But they're having like, you can tell it's like tea or something. Yeah. So it's like, <laughs> like they're it's in like a tea mug. Yeah. Anyways, they're hanging out there. Maybe they're still on duty. Yeah. Uh, Riker's looking like kind of upset and O'Brien says he's like, so is it a woman? Like, is it career? 
And Riker's like, no, it's family. And O'Brien's like, oh, that's trouble. He's like, you can choose your enemies and your friends. But he says, family is in the stars. It is. I was thinking as I was watching this, O'Brien is kind of, I think, the only really recurring character at this point. Like there is, we do have Gein in a little bit, but she is like special guest star Whoopi Goldberg. And Pulaski she technically is a recurring character, but she feels more like a series regular. But O'Brien at this point is the only character who we really get to know, but who isn't part of the main cast. Yeah, who like evolves. Yes. Yeah. From like a, from no Brian. From no Brian in the first episode to like a fully fledged character and then yeah, a series regular on Deep Space Nine. Yeah, it's kind of, it's kind of nice. It makes the ship also feel like bigger and more lived in. Like, it makes the crew the crew feel bigger, yeah. Yeah, it's like, to me, it always felt like when you watch the show and you see that progression, you're like, hey, any one of those background people, maybe we could get to know them, that they feel like real-life people on this real-life ship. Yeah. And it always gave the sense that the Enterprise was this large living world yeah. of people traveling around in space. People's rules evolve and change, yeah. yeah. So then Kyle Riker enters 10 Forward, and you can tell he's kind of known because a few people greet him, shake his hand, and then Pulaski notices him from the bar, and she goes up to greet him, and they kiss right Ooh. on the mouth. Whoa. Yeah, and we get a great O'Brien line here because Riker, Riker sees this, and he's like, oh, they know each other, and O'Brien says, I know her too, but we don't do that. Yeah, so there's some history here. <laughs> Clearly. That Riker doesn't know. Riker about does his dad not know. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah, so then we switch back to engineering, and Wesley is now talking to Data about Worf, and LaForge is still like, you might be overreacting. But Data agrees that Worf has actually been sort of unusually out of sorts. Yeah, even the emotionless android can tell yes. that there's something up with Worf. Yep. So Wesley wants to help him, and he's like, this is our friend. And LaForge says that he wants to stay friendly, so he doesn't want to bug him too much. Because <laughs> uh, you don't want to get in Worf's way if he's having a bad mood. Yeah. But Wesley wants to know, uh, he's like, okay, well, let's do it. Let's start, like, uh, basically Data is what's saying is, like, let's do an empirical study and monitor the subject for unusual behavior. And Wesley, <laughs> we know he's a science nerd, so he's like, okay, I get this. So he's like, when do, when do we start? LaForge is like, no, uh, well, this isn't we. This is a <laughs> you project. And we're going to help you when we when you think you that you're going to need our assistance. Yeah. It's like, we, we will assist you. This is your project. Yeah. Yeah. This is, we are not going to be spying on Worf, although they do spy on Worf. A little bit, yeah. We go back to 10 Forward and Riker kind of watches as Kyle and Pulaski catch up. So basically Kyle is now working for Starfleet as a tactical advisor. And the way he's talking about it, you can tell that he has done some very important things and he's very proud of the important things that he has done. Yes. You know, people keep shaking his hand and she's like, are you running for mayor? <laughs> and he's <laughs> like, well, you know, you work around here as long as I have. You, you get to know people. And so then Riker approaches and he comments that Pulaski never told him she knew his dad. And she's like, oh, you know, it's not a secret, but it, it never came up. Which is fair. I mean, that's her life. It is her life. But didn't it kind of come up in the last episode when she was like, oh, your dad liked to cook? Oh, yeah. Remember I said we're going to hold on to that one for later? Oh, yeah. So she probably <laughs> should have known that. Yeah, she could have said, I mean, I don't think she necessarily should have said over brunch, I know your dad. But she says it never came up, but like it did come up. 
Yeah, it did come up. Yeah, I guess in a way. But yeah. it, maybe that would have been an awkward place to have brought it up in that conversation. Yeah. Like, By the way, while the whole crew is here eating your terrible eggs, <laughs> uh, your dad and I were like a thing. Yeah, and we he's dated. like, wait, what? They all just were like, everyone just kind of looks at her. <laughs> and then you get a call from the bridge. Yeah, and the wharf is still like delicious. 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 <laughs> She's like sitting there watching them talk, just like shoveling eggs. Give me, <laughs> Give me more eggs. Give me more eggs. Yeah. So they both invite Riker to join them, uh, but he's he's not going to, and he just tells his dad that he's ready for the briefing whenever whenever Kyle is, and then he yeah. he just walks out of ten forward. LaForge and Data enter ten forward as Pulaski is commenting on the amount of schmoozing Kyle's doing. Like he said, is like is he running for mayor? Right. And Kyle says that he thought about her a lot, uh, but she tells him that he doesn't need to say anything about that. I guess they're reflecting now on their relationship and he says that they could have been great together and then asks if it's true if she got married and she was like, yep, again and again. Uh, so three times in total Yeah. Uh, that she divorced them all, but they're all still really good friends. And she says that they were a little more in touch with themselves than Kyle was. So there's a comment here about Kyle Riker maybe lacking some emotional maturity. Yes. She says he's crusty. She says he has a reputation for getting the job done, which I guess sort of means he does not have a reputation for being kind and taking taking care of people, maybe. But she says, yeah. underneath it all, you're not so bad. And then she says, and then there's Will. And then there's Will. Yep. So then we switch to LaForge and Data, and they are, in fact, observing Worf. Uh, he's standing on his own. He's looking out the window. And there's a little bit of exposition. I think there was a deleted scene where Wesley said he couldn't uh, spy on Worf right now because he had to study. He had schoolwork to do. But LaForge basically thinks that's nonsense, that he just he just used that as an excuse to get them to do the, the observing. The, the observing, yeah, yeah, because who wants to go and bother Worf if he's not... If he's not feeling that great. <laughs> LaForge really doesn't want to bug at Worf. And Data thinks that he's probably lonely. He's like, well, he seems on his own. So let's go talk to him. And I thought, I mean, he is a 10 forward. So yeah. if you want to be by yourself, you may not want to be surrounded by that many people. So so Data goes up to him and he's like, you know, excuse me, Lieutenant. You seem to have lost the will to communicate with others. <laughs> uh, you have friends. He's like, we care about you. Then Worf cuts him off and tells him, he's like, with all due respect, be gone! And just kind of like yeah. yells at him. He yells in his face, yeah. yeah. Yeah, even though he's his superior officer. Yeah, he's like afterwards, he's like, commander. Commander, yeah. And then, yeah, Data's line here is pretty great. He's like, he seems quite sincere in his desire for solitude. Yeah, so the problem is not that he's lonely. No, no, he, like, he <laughs> yeah. really doesn't want to talk to anyone. Yeah. So then we go to Riker's quarters. Riker is kind of looking on his on his laptop at pictures from his childhood. This is something that Star Trek did get accurate about the future. This is how we look at photos now. We look at them on a computer. So he's like, I don't we know, do. looking through his old Instagram or whatever. The, the single laptop, a single button laptops yes. that they yeah. have in Star Trek. Yeah. And they, whenever they need to do anything, they always push that one button with like great like force. They're like, <laughs> and it usually just shuts everything off. Yeah. But this time it scrolls through pictures and yeah. Worf enters. And he says he wants to talk about something with Riker, but that words are not always easy for him. And then Worf notices the photo that Riker is looking at, and it's it's himself uh, as a child holding a fish. But he says he mm -hmm. didn't actually catch that fish. He hooked it, but his father didn't let him reel it in because he thought he would lose it. Worf asks he's like oh you don't have good feelings about your father but Riker isn't really sure what he's feeling 
And then he's like, but anyway, the, this isn't why you showed up here. What, what can I do to help you? And Worf says that he wants to join Riker on the Ares. Maybe he's not feeling quite seated. He might be feeling a little bit out of place right now. We know that Worf and Riker have a special relationship. So maybe yeah. that's why he wants to go with him. I thought it was kind of a, it's a sweet request. Very nice of Worf. I thought it was, and I, I was thinking similar to what you said, that maybe given what we learned, that he maybe feels like he doesn't really have a place or he doesn't feel like yeah. he belongs and maybe he's hoping he'll belong on another ship or if not that at least it'll be something new yeah at least belong maybe with Riker yeah maybe because Riker and him have shared experiences that probably the other crew wouldn't have joined in like yeah. fighting the, the weird lizard monsters on the holiday yeah and Riker like did have that uh exchange program on a Klingon right, ship yeah Absolutely. Yeah. So he's actually spent time on a Klingon vessel. So yeah. he's got some insights there. So Riker says, well, I haven't even accepted the job yet. A Worf yeah. tells him that he has the opportunity to die a true hero. And they're like, that's not really what the, <laughs> the mission is. No. Like just, he's like, we're exploring some maybe intelligent, it could be fungus, like some disappearing <laughs> galaxy. And he's like, but I know you'll do the right thing. Yeah. D now, did you feel like that was Worf trying to push the decision or just saying that he trusted Riker either way? I think, not necessarily trying to push, I think Worf genuinely believed that Riker would make the decision to take the command. And that was the right thing. And that, that that was the right thing. In, in his view, anyway. Worf sometimes has a hard time remembering that people's experiences and choices might be different from his. No. <laughs> I think so? So I think he's not like, you'll do the right thing because... I don't think he's trying to push him. I think he just couldn't believe that Riker would make a different decision because why would That's he? That's fair. Yeah. That's fair. Yeah. Words do not come easily to me. Yeah. I thought that was actually kind of sweet. It was. Yeah, it was sweet. Yeah. Back in the observation lounge, Riker enters and meeting his dad and tells him that he's there for the briefing. Like this, let's just keep this literally brief yeah. for a briefing. And Kyle hands him a disc with the mission details. And that's what Riker's like. Well, you could have been, you could have transmitted yes. this. You didn't even need to come here and cause all this drama. This is one of the earliest instances, I think, of this meeting could have been an email. This meeting could have been an email. Yeah. yeah. It's literally like a little USB key. Yeah. And Kyle says that he's been hearing good things about Riker. And so Riker wonders why he has been then hearing from Kyle. Yeah. He's like, you hear about me, but you don't reach out to me. Kyle says that parenting doesn't come with a manual. But you know what? Like... <laughs> That's a terrible excuse because basically like, well, there's no manual for this. So I guess I'm just not going to even do it at all. <laughs> just not going like, to try. You know, he left, you know, they haven't seen each other in, since Riker was like a teenager. Basically. Yeah. And then they start to talk about a moment that seems to have caused or at least catalyzed some of the rift between them is when Riker's mother died. Yeah. And then, you know, and then Riker's like, I'm not talking about this. He starts to leave. Yeah. And then... Kyle does this thing, he like starts to say things and then stops and then starts again. He says, you know, you're going to be on this mission that's going to take you so far away. And then he pauses and then he says, I'm here with my hand out, son. And the thing is, he's not actually, because he's not saying, I'm worried about you. He's just kind of implying it. And I think Riker is sort of waiting to hear the actual words. But Kyle just wants him to infer the words. And Riker's like, no, I'm not going to do that. And he gets up and leaves. Yeah, and it's not clear as to whether or not, 
and I think this is intentional on, on the part of the writing for the character, but it, it's like he's not really openly sorry for the distance between them. Riker but, isn't or Kyle isn't? Kyle Riker, yeah. Kyle Riker is like, I'm not, he doesn't like apologize for saying like, sorry, I was like an absentee father. Yeah. But now I just want us to have a relationship and we're just going to ignore that I wasn't here and I'm not even sure if I feel badly about it. So you're like, yeah. okay, well, so there's not really, when he says that there's an outstretched hand, well, what? What do you mean by that? Yeah, it feels like he wants the relationship to change without acknowledging his part in why the relationship is the way it is. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. We change the locations to sick bay, and Pulaski is giving a hyperspray injection to a patient. He said who picked up a flu virus and that the treatment includes a generous dose of PCS, which is Pulaski's chicken soup. Again, another example of how we're totally open with people's <laughs> medical history. <laughs> Could be all sorts of things, yeah. He says it out loud. Yeah. But Troy is there. Troy shows up. Yeah, so Troy's there. Yeah, and she says that Pulaski's greatest skill is her empathy. And then Pulaski introduces uh, Kyle and Troy, and she says this is our ship's counselor, and Kyle's like, let me guess, Betazoid. And then he mm -hmm. says he feels like this is a setup, and Troy is like, yeah, it is. Basically, Pulaski thought he could talk to the ship's counselor. She thought yeah. that would be a good idea. And Pulaski basically goes on to work on something else while the two of them talk in her office. And so Troy comments that Kyle isn't as close to Riker as he wants to be. So he can pick that up. And then he makes this comment. And he's like, well, we both have pretty good taste in women. And Troy mostly ignores that. And I was like, this is so creepy. It's such a weird thing. And especially when he's like, oh, I want to have a better relationship with my son. I know one way to do that. Why don't I hit on his ex? Yeah. And it's like, dude it was just so wrong it's so weird and it's like a weird i mean we we see and troy brings it up that kyle feels competitive with Riker, and it yes. almost feels like this is part of that competition yeah, yeah i don't like really it odd yeah. it's icky and yeah. i don't know if that was like if they wanted to make him icky <laughs> I, yeah, like, I, I get that they're, like, this probably is not written to flatter the character at all, but something this awful, I, I'm, we're probably looking at it more through a contemporary lens, yeah. you know, rather than an 80s lens, but it makes the character, like, when this happened, it basically made the character unredeemable in my eyes. I was like, I don't know. Even if we get to a positive point later with the character, Riker may not even necessarily know that this interaction even happened. Yeah. And if Troy goes up to him later and is like, yeah, you know, your dad like hit on me. He'd be like, what? Yeah. Like, it would just back be to, so weird. Back to one. <laughs> yeah. No kidding. Yeah. So they talk about what Kyle wants or needs for Riker. And Troy says that uh, respect might be one of those things, but that respect is earned and not bestowed, even for a parent. And I thought that was an interesting thing because yeah. I think maybe sometimes in some parenting, do you feel like parents feel like they just deserve respect from their children just by virtue of being their parents and is that okay absolutely i feel like people i feel like parents have that attitude i also think that a lot of adults have that attitude about children more generally mm -hmm. teachers certainly have that attitude and there is a certain degree of like i don't think teachers should have to prove themselves to earn the like cooperation on the very first day of school of students but i i definitely think that it's a two-way street and it's something that any any person needs to earn respect from other people you're not just entitled to it this is one of the because as you know that i used to be part of a more conservative christian community right this is literally like a commandment in the mm. scriptures right honor honor your mother and father and we used to talk about how that meant like respecting 
parents. But then the scary part of this would be that it would then be extended to respecting authority in general. Right. And that therefore, like any authority is ultimately due that kind of respect. And I think it's a very dangerous attitude. I think this kind of thing, it, it not only is it dangerous for society, but it's dangerous for individuals and in families that, that we think that people that are under an authority just have to show respect to that authority just because. And I think this is one of Kyle's problems yeah. here yeah. in why he can't then properly develop a relationship with his own son. Yeah. I also think there is, I, I'm, this, not, this is not my thought. I've sort of seen this written somewhere don't know who wrote it or said it, so I can't credit them. But this idea of, well, there are two meanings of the word respect. So there's respect as in like, I will treat you with basic human decency. That is respect. Mm -hmm. And then there is respect as in like, I will defer to your authority. Right. And people will sometimes say, if you respect me, I will respect you. But they, what they mean is, both of those meanings of respect. So if I have more power than you have, I might say, if you respect me, I'll respect you. But what I actually mean is, if you defer to my authority, I will treat you with basic human decency. Right. And if you yeah. don't defer to my authority, then I won't treat you with basic human decency. Yeah, that's, that's a very good point. And I think yeah, that and... there's some of that as well, that Kyle is like, I'm being a, a basic decent person right now so you should be deferring to me and treating me with the respect that I deserve which is respect as an authority figure right yeah and and that, that therefore that it's it's okay that I basically abandoned you yeah as a father yeah is this okay we might be going off topic here so we can cut this part out a bit that's okay <laughs> but I was gonna say like is it as much of a problem to be, an, or do you think as negative, considered as negative, to be an absentee father in a society where people's needs are still taken care of? Like, if you know you're going to let oh. your son go, but they're still going to have housing and food or whatever in the future Earth, does it matter anymore? Do we still care about that? That's an interesting question. I mean, I think in some ways that's impossible to answer because we're not in that society. So we're it's not, not something society. we can observe. But I do think that... I, I obviously don't know. I think like I have heard about in psychology, there are sort of like there's like attachment theory and the idea of like your early attachments can have a profound impact on your life later on. So being abandoned by someone who was taking care of you intentionally or not can have an effect on you, even if your needs are met in other ways. But it's I honestly don't have enough knowledge to to say that but that is an interesting question yeah i i was just i'm trying to think of like the uh like playing on the whole breadwinner idea right right if like if you don't if you don't live in a capitalist society or some kind of like you know like hunter-gatherer society where you don't have to be a breadwinner anymore as a parent then like i guess there's two ways to look at this in which case you could say oh well they're gonna be fine but then on the other side that might be now the only necessity of parenting is to provide that emotional connection and support and then you failed even at that yeah right so and I, it's and that's some of the hurt here it's not like Riker was like hey I had to live on the streets on my own no but it's more like I just didn't have that support as a parent right especially when they needed them when in that in that shared loss of, a, of another parent of, of yes mom. Yeah. yeah Kyle starts to deflect though he doesn't he want to have this conversation really deflects <laughs> and he says that he guesses that Riker, that Will, probably finds Troy pretty fascinating since 
Will seems to admire Candor. Yeah, so again, kind of hitting on her. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. weird. And I mean, this is also, you said this is, you know, we're looking at this in a contemporary lens. And this is definitely something that was very common in, I don't know, the 90s, the 80s. It's not gone now, but this idea of like an older man complimenting a woman would often have this like, yeah, weird flirty tinge to it that's actually mm-hmm. really creepy but was thought of as okay i think that she she picks up on this and and in the context of even this episode in this moment she's like no no no, i'm not gonna take this and she tr- tries to redirect the conversation and so she says well what Riker actually admires is honesty and then says that kyle should really consider why he's so competitive with his own son yeah and he says well we might have been competitive in the past, but this is now and we're here. I'm here to help my son and prepare for this dangerous assignment. And then he knows that he'll accept the assignment because it is dangerous, just like he would. And then says, well, he and I are actually not so different. And I don't think Riker, I don't think rather, I don't think Troy buys that because they might be similar in terms of like their competitiveness, but they are definitely not the same person. No, they are not. Although there might be another similarity, which we'll get to a little bit later. In a moment. All right. So then we go to Riker's quarters and Picard enters and he asks if Riker has any questions about the mission and Riker is just wondering about Flaherty. I would have said Flaherty, but Picard says Flaherty, who is the first officer of the Ares and apparently has an uncanny linguistic skill. Picard also pronounces schedule as schedule. So Yeah, so know. who knows? Yeah. Who knows? But Picard says that the last time he saw Flaherty, he spoke 40 languages. And I couldn't remember in Strange New Worlds, how many languages does Uhura speak? Is it 40? She's around that same level. And she's just a cadet. And she's just a cadet. Yeah. yeah, But she's like considered a linguistic genius. Yes. I think it's an awesome way to to show that character because you probably have to have a role like that. For sure. And they also, so what Picard says is that Flaherty has this unique ability to instantaneously interpolate and extrapolate any language he hears. And I think this was also, I didn't really watch the show, but this was also done in Enterprise with their communications officer, Hoshi. Yes, that Hoshi was also a linguistic expert. Yeah. And helped to, if I understand the, the correctly in Star Trek canon, it was her linguistic expertise that programmed the first universal translator. Ah, uh, yes. Yeah. So it's a, it's a cool thing. It's very useful. Yeah, he speaks Romulan, Klingon, Guillemin, Stroyarian. That's a, that's a hard one to pick up. Yeah. And then Kyle enters and introduces himself to Picard and Riker just like rolls his eyes. He's like, oh my God, again? It's really funny. He's like, oh, here you are again. Yeah. yeah. And Kyle asks for a word alone with Riker. And so Picard's like, of course, and he leaves. Yeah. So Riker says to his dad, I'm not going to be pushed into this decision. They have a little back and forth about whether he thinks he's ready for it. Kyle says, you know, Starfleet knows that you're the best candidate for the job and I'm here if you need me. And Riker says, I've been on my own since I was 15. And then Kyle says, spare me the pain of your childhood. I hung in for 13 years. If that wasn't enough, it's just too bad. And then storms out. What a jerk. It's just like, well, I was around till I was 13. It's like, how many memories do you even have in childhood up until 13? Like, your dad might as well have just been a blip in your life at that point. Exactly, yeah. I mean, even just saying it that way, I hung in for 13 years is like, I put up with you while you were a teenager. And also he's saying, I'm here if you need me. And Riker is saying, no, you're not. Yeah, and I also don't need you. Yeah. So... 
And we, as I made that point earlier, I didn't need you to get this mission done either. You could have just sent me an email. Yeah. In engineering, LaForge worries that he's missed something with the anomalous readouts. And so Data reassures him, you know, but he's still worried. And then Wesley enters and says, I figured out what's going on with Worf. He's accessed the complete Klingon cultural database and realized that today is the 10th anniversary of Worf's Age of Ascension. Yeah. It's a rite of initiation that marks the new level of Klingon spiritual attainment. But, you know, obviously he can't celebrate it properly because he's not in Klingon society. He's even on a Klingon ship. And so uh, he doesn't have any Klingon friends around to celebrate. So he's feeling very socially isolated. Yeah. So they decide they'll do that. And it's it's nice to me, like earlier in the episode, LaForge was like, let's just leave him alone. He's always grumpy. We don't want to upset him. But... LaForge is the one he first says well we're his friends and then Wesley says well his family are, is supposed to attend and LaForge is like well we're his family so we'll go like it it kind of it shows that when when LaForge was saying that it wasn't out of a lack of care you know yeah he just didn't want to bug him which is totally fair which totally fair yeah but I think in this case I think it was smart to have Wesley act in this role. Yes. Because I don't think any of the rest of them would have been able to get through that exterior to figure out what was going on with Worf. And instead, Worf would have just run away to the Ares. And, <laughs> yeah. And, and that would have been it. Even but if instead, Riker doesn't go, he would have just even if, right, he's, like, he's like, I heard there's another ship. And he's like, that's it. He's like, I'm going to get out of here. So it's it's great because... Because Wesley's sincerity and his kind of like innocence in a way, he's like, no, 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 I'm going to figure out what's going on. And, and because he's an excellent researcher, yeah. <laughs> he's found out what's going on. So yeah. we're going to we're going to make this happen. Yeah. In sickbay, Riker enters and apologizes to Velasky for his earlier comments and says that her personal life was none of his business, even if it does involve his father. And I think this is an interesting contrast because it shows that self-awareness that his father, Kyle Riker, does not have. Yeah, he doesn't start hitting on Pulaski now. Because <laughs> Oh yeah, yeah. But he's 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 aware enough to know that he made a mistake. Yes. And he breached someone's boundaries. And it's something that, that Kyle Riker is not capable of doing, is making that same apology or similar apology. Absolutely. And then Pulaski kind of, you know, decides to talk to Riker a bit about this. And she says, Do you know why your father never remarried? And Riker's like, Well, I don't really think he had the opportunity with that ego. <laughs> Yeah. But Pulaski says that she would have married him. She says in a cold minute, which is yeah. okay. I mean, I think you can do. I'm sure Pulaski did do better than that. But oh yeah, there's. So she says that she met him 12 years ago. He was a civilian strategist. He was advising Starfleet in a conflict with the Tholians, and the starbase was attacked. And none of the crew was expected to survive, but Kyle Riker did survive. And he was the only one, this is how she puts it, he was the only one who had the will to endure and to face the pain and to live. And seeing him fight like that is when she fell in love with him. And Riker says that he didn't know any of that, which tracks because it happened 12 years ago and he hasn't seen his dad in 15 years. Yeah. But Pulaski says that that Kyle had other priorities than marriage and Riker realizes that she she's talking about his career. And I was just wondering at this point, do we know why Troy and Riker split up or do we not know that yet? 
Right, because we at some point we do find out. This is one of the disadvantages of doing this literally is when all the Trek knowledge is in your brain already yeah. is that we know that it sounds like it was a career-motivated decision. Yeah, Riker chose career over over his relationship with Troy. Over his relationship. So they're, Troy, you yeah. know, they're not totally different. Yeah, at least not in that sense, in yeah. the prioritization. And then Pulaski's like, you might want to jettison some of this emotional baggage before heading out to the Aries. And I was like, that that seemed a little harsh, I, I felt like to say. And like, I get the point she's trying to make. And she's like, this is why I admire your father. He's a survivor. He's a fighter. And I was like, yeah, okay, cool. And it's a way to get some insight into him as a man. So maybe then Riker can uh, like form a connection or at least some respect of him based on the situation. But it still doesn't make him like a better dad or a better father or make up for any of the stuff that he did back then. It doesn't. And I think that one of the things that bugs me about it is that she's basically telling Riker to be the bigger person. Why should he have to be the bigger person? You know, like this is something that is so common. We say to, as I say we, like culturally, we say to people who have been hurt, well, you know, be the bigger person. And if, if you're able to bury the hatchet, then that'll keep things peaceful. And it's actually kind of, it's, it's actually a really crummy thing to do to say to the person who has been hurt that they should be the ones to, you know, jettison this emotional baggage. Really, it should be Kyle's responsibility to deal with his emotional baggage so that he can then acknowledge the harm that he did. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Otherwise, you're not going to find that reconciliation. Like, it's not going yeah, to otherwise, it'll just be this unsteady piece where Riker is still feeling very hurt by what his father did and, and there's no real resolution. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Back in engineering, Wesley, LaForge, and Data are discussing the details for Worf's Ascension anniversary party and LaForge jokingly suggests a 20-piece orchestra and a magnificent ballroom. <laughs> Wesley's like, no. <laughs> no, he's like, here's what's happening, which is funny because up until this point, they're talking about like a party, celebration, yeah. ceremony, but then, and then he's like, no, 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 what's going to happen is that Worf will need to endure physical suffering using Klingon pain sticks as a spiritual test and that they will need to witness it as his family. And LaForge is not really like uh, pleased with that idea. He's like, but they should have all seen this coming. It's a Klingon Of course, show, of course. Yeah. So then we go back to the ready room and Riker enters. And this is where I like related to Riker the most here that he basically, he enters. And this is what we talked about in the check-in that he's like, I would be a fool to turn this down. Wouldn't I? And Picard is like, I don't know. I can't tell you what to do, but here are your options. So he says, as first officer of the Enterprise, you are in a position of distinction, prestige, even glamour. You're on the flagship, but you are still second in command. Right. And then he says, the Ares is a relatively insignificant ship. Ouch. Yeah, Riker kind of like looks at him when he says that. <laughs> and he says, it's in an obscure corner of the galaxy, but it will be your ship. And then he says that like from what he knows of Riker... He says, it will soon be vibrant with your authority, your style, your vision. And this is where he like does the little hush yeah. motion with his hand. And he says, there really is no substitute for holding the reins. Holding the reins, yeah. One thing I was thinking about here, this prestige that comes with being on the flagship, Picard has this now, but he didn't start off on the flagship. He was captain of the Stargazer. And before that, he would have been first officer 
probably of some much smaller ship. So that that position of prestige, you kind of earn it by not having it at first. Like there is a bit of a, maybe it's a running joke among like when people talk about Riker when he's offered his command that like what he really wants is to be captain of the Enterprise. Well, of course. <laughs> and that's not going to be anyone's first command, the flagship. Like you have to kind of, I guess people talk about it as paying your dues, but you do have to kind of be captain of a, a much less significant ship for a while first. Yeah, and, and Picard had the Stargazer, right? Exactly, so yeah. Yeah, and so it's, uh, yeah, it's something to work up to. I It's unfortunate that, like, is the ship insignificant? This is one of those things where it's like, is exploration really as important to Starfleet as we make it out to be? Because <laughs> they're like, they might be on the verge of finding a new intelligent species or civilization somewhere in the galaxy. Maybe this is like lost on everyone now because they found so many of them, I guess. Yeah, but they don't care. That doesn't sound insignificant. That sounds pretty No, amazing, it sounds pretty you know? cool, yeah. And if you're in an obscure corner of the galaxy, that's because you're pushing out toward the edge of known space, like into unknown yeah. territory or explore. Anyway, uh, that sounds like an exciting adventure to me. I would be down with that. So yeah. anyways. Riker says he's going to need a few, a little more time. And then yeah. he, he walks out. He leaves, yeah. In engineering, O'Brien asks if the engineers have found anything yet. And Data says that there hasn't been anything yet for them to find. And so O'Brien says, well, you know, there's no harm in checking. And LaForge is like, well... Okay, I think at this point, even LaForge is frustrated. He's yeah. like, how would you feel? And they decided to sort of looking all over the transporters. And that, uh, you know, they even if they suspected that there was a malfunction or something like that. O'Brien's kind of like, well, let them. Everything here is ship shape. Yeah. We're fine with the transporters. Yeah, and LaForge is like, no, but it's the principle of the thing. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. 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 And then Data's like, if I were not a consummate professional and an android, I would find this entire procedure insulting. <laughs> yeah, so this is also Data, like, backing up LaForge again, which yeah. is kind of nice. Yeah. Yeah. And then Wesley invites O'Brien to Worf's party, but he tells him it's a surprise. So so we've got we've got O'Brien coming to the pain sticks as well, the ascension ceremony. Yeah. We're in Troy's office now. I think we saw this coming. Yes. There's going to be a goodbye. This one's going to be hard. Yes. Riker says that he didn't want to leave without saying goodbye to her. So it sounds like he's made this decision then. Yeah. He might be leaving. Yeah. But she says that she doesn't like goodbyes. So they settle on an until next time. And they get sort of very formal with each other. Troy's like, goodbye, Commander. It's been a pleasure working with yeah. you. Yeah. And then she turns around and Riker hasn't left yet because I don't think that's the conversation he wanted to have. And then Troy says, you know, I can, I can usually read everyone's feelings but I can't read you right now. And Riker says, maybe it's like, because your own feelings are getting in the way. Yes. And Troy says, well, well, actually, no, that wouldn't be it because I help other people sort out their feelings. Mine are beside the point. And Riker says, well, they aren't to me. And then they both acknowledge that they're feeling sad. And, you know, Troy breaks down a little bit. Riker looks like he's going to as well. And they hug. And I realized just now as we're talking about this, I think we do know that Riker made the decision to break up with Troy because of his career. Because I was just thinking the only other time we've really seen them together acknowledge their their former relationship was when Troy almost married that Wyatt guy. And so I think it came up then. But this is a, a rare moment where we see them talk about their past love for each other. 
Yeah, and it's nice, and it's it it's is. bittersweet and sad, and and even I was a bit like choked up there because yeah. she's like, "Well, how are you feeling?" And she, he's like, "I'm well, I'm sad." Yeah, and she's like, "I'm sad too." And I think she at least wanted. And I think it's helpful for both of them to just acknowledge they're feeling the same way about this situation. Like even that is like cathartic in a sense to be that they're still on the same page. This might be happening, but yeah. they can still both still feel sad about it. Yeah, and I think there is. We see this more in later seasons, but between Troy and Riker, there's such a, a closeness and a, a love and respect for each other. Mm -hmm. And okay, so they're not together, but they still get to work together. They still get to spend that time each with someone that they really care about. And now they're not going to. So now we're back in the corridor and Kyle is waiting outside of Riker's quarters and asks if he can talk to him for a minute. And Riker's like, had enough. He's like, listen, I've practiced my best academy courtesy, <laughs> but now it's time for you to go. Yeah. And Kyle says, nope, we need to talk. Lower your shields. And they decide to clear the air over an Anbojitsu match. Classic. Classic. I think this is the first time we see Anbo Jitsu, right? We don't see it in, in original Trek, do we? It's the last time we see it again until Lower Decks. <laughs> the only time, yeah. Yeah. Given that knowledge, it's funny when they were like, he's like, too bad there's no Anbo Jitsu ring here so we can fight each other. And Riker's like, well, there happens to be one on deck, whatever, like in the ship. And I was like, why would you have a facility like that for just like one sport that we would never <laughs> see again? Especially when you have the holodeck that can be I know. I know. Blooded, but, okay. <laughs> no, I think every every ship comes equipped with an Anbo Jitsu ring. Anbo Jitsu <laughs> ring. Yeah, yeah. Just it allows the, the crew to get out some stress. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So then we go to Sick Bay and Pulaski is like, Are you kidding me, Kyle? You're gonna fight with your son? Again, the news of that has already spread. Yeah, yeah, ship. it's all over the place. Everyone knows. And we're like taking bets, like like trading like yeah, exactly. Latinum in the in ten four. <laughs> yeah, she thinks that he's being ridiculous, and she's also worried that one of them is gonna get hurt. And then uh, Kyle says that he and Will have been playing Anbo Jitsu since Will was eight, and I just want to comment on that note. I don't think like they later refer to it as a martial art. Right. I don't think we usually talk about playing martial arts. Like, you don't play karate. Well, he also says, he's like, Will's never beat me yet. I said, like, well, the last time you guys played, Will was like 12. Yes. Come <laughs> on. <laughs> Come point, on. Beating up your kid. Yeah. So, I mean, Pulaski is like, you are ridiculous. But he's like, don't yeah. worry. I can handle myself. And so can Will. So then we go to the holodeck. <laughs> And we've got this, it's set up as a rite of ascension chamber. And they, they ask the computer for appropriate Klingon personnel. And we've got two rows of Klingons and they're each holding a stick. Yeah. Yeah. So LaForge says like, oh, they're a cute bunch. And then we've got <laughs> Wesley, LaForge, uh, Data, Pulaski, and O'Brien kind of together looking around. And O'Brien says that he once saw these pain sticks used on a two-ton rectine monopod who eventually died from excessive cephalic pressures. But Pulaski cuts him off before he can go into too much detail about how this animal's head exploded. So this is what we're dealing with here. Yeah, so pain sticks are, are bad. Yes. And then Troy and Worf are... I'm glad we got this scene of the two of them together. We don't just have uh, Troy dealing with the Rikers. But Troy and Worf are walking together, and, and it's, this is clearly like a surprise. Worf is upset that he doesn't know what's going on, and Troy is like, listen, 
I know you don't like surprises, but this is going to be a good one, I promise. And then she eventually says that she and all of his friends know that this is a special day. It's the anniversary of Worf's Rite of Ascension. And Worf is like, how could you know that? Like, this is, only Klingons know about this, but no, nothing is a secret from certain resourceful young ensigns. Resourceful young ensigns, <laughs> yeah. He's like, what? Yeah. So they approach the holodeck and Worf is still annoyed, but surprised that Troy isn't coming in. He's like, aren't you coming in? And she's like, no. <laughs> she just kind of like turns around and like leaves. I was like, good. She knows her boundaries. That's cool. So Worf enters the holodeck and right away, it's the look on his face. And like, he's found out what's going on. And he's very happy to see the ascension ceremony with his friends standing across from him. This is such a great moment. I forgot that that's what the the side story was to this episode. I know, me too. I totally forgot. Yeah, because I, I this is one of these episodes I tend not to watch too much. It's actually a lot better than I remembered it being. But mm -hmm. I was like, I know this paint stick thing happened at some point, but I never seemed to come across it anywhere. Yeah. And then I was like, oh, because it's the sub story for this episode. But it's, it's really touching. So he, he's standing there and he's like, today I am a warrior. I must show you my heart. I travel the river of blood and he steps forward. So he's basically walking between these two rows of Klingons. And as he walks between each pair, they stab him twice in the side with the, the pain sticks and his sides glow red as he is stabbed. Yeah, and he's like crying out in pain. And Data says, and this is an interesting part of the ceremony that I didn't remember. Yeah. But Data says that the truest test of Klingon's strength is to admit one's most profound feelings while under extreme duress. So in a way now, there's kind of like a crossover between yes, the two storylines yes. because you're having a similar situation where people are trying to like get out their their feelings but under duress and like pain and being beaten up because we're about to see that parallel down yeah. in the ring but it's interesting that that part of this the test of strength is not just to feel the pain but to reveal things that maybe you're feeling or you're afraid to reveal out in open and that your whole family sees you in this like intense moment of vulnerability and like anguish and stuff i will say i don't think they went as far as they could have gone with the vulnerability. And I wonder if this episode had been written like now, if his most profound feelings would have been something like, I feel really lonely on the Enterprise and I feel really isolated. Yeah, see, I wondered about that too. And then I was thinking about like from a writing perspective, it would open up all this stuff that needs to sort of then be like maybe dealt with in that episode, but then there's not really room for yeah. <laughs> it because it's not really the main storyline. And in some ways, I almost wished like that should have maybe been a whole separate episode. Yeah. Because I that would have been really interesting where Worf has to open up about like, and then, it, you know, his family's there and, and they have to talk about the fact that he's been feeling isolated, but now they're there trying to help him out. And, and you're right. They, I don't think they went far enough with that because he doesn't really say anything more than like, I'm killing people. I'm a warrior. I'm a warrior. And you're like, oh, okay. Like, is that? you got Worf like I think there's more going on there underneath yeah, yeah yeah I do just want to point out that one of the things he says is the bile of the vanquished flows over my hands that's so visceral, that's so <laughs> visceral. yeah I'm gonna use that as my battle cry next time I'm playing video games <laughs> so at one point Worf falls and Pulaski goes to to reach out to him but O'Brien's like no 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 you can't you can't jump in there so she like he like holds her back and then you know Worf makes it to the to the end of the the line I guess and he collapses at uh the feet of his friends <laughs> who are who are there he collapses in pain and then he looks up at them and smiles and says thank you He's like, thank you. Yeah. And I, that was, it's very touching. I it was is. Like, for Worf, they show building bridges across 
cultures and we're helping to understand this is an important thing for Worf. We were able to make this happen. Yeah. And he's very grateful for it. It's a great, it is a great moment. It is. And I think the thing that I find so touching about it is how seriously they all take it. Yes. You know, they're not like, oh, let's have, just do your little ascension ceremony. Let's go to your little party. Like it's, they give it the weight and the gravity that it deserves. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So then we switch to the observation lounge. Troy is looking out the window and Pulaski enters and says, yep, Worf is doing great. Couldn't be happier. I was not going to stick around for that for any longer. I did what I could. Yep. And then she kind of segues us nicely into back, back to the A storyline because she says, I'm so glad that humans have progressed beyond the need for barbaric display. And Troy is like, have they? (laughs) Then she gets into a little bit of a rant about gender and how human males are unique because fathers continue to regard their sons as children, even into adulthood, and sons continue to chafe against what they perceive as their father's expectations of them. Yeah, she says some some traits are endemic to gender. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I would like to point out that she could almost be describing her relationship with her mother here. Ooh, so maybe <laughs> maybe we need some some self self examination here as well. We might. Maybe it's not about gender. Maybe it's not about humans either. <laughs> yeah, maybe it's just about some the dynamics between people. Yes. And that in this case, it's being displayed in like a violent way or in a physically combative way. Yeah. But it doesn't mean it doesn't exist in other types of relationships. It's a bit of a, it's a bit of a miss. Like I think so, yeah. I think typical of the writing of this era. Yeah. But it's also, you're right, there, there might be a point here that, that Troy's missing about herself. And then she says, oh, you, you, you could do this. <laughs> I, I thought it was hilarious, but yeah. Well, and then... She says, oh, may- maybe that's part of their charm. Why? Maybe that's why we find men so attractive, which I, I do want to say I hate this idea of like, oh, you know, men. <laughs> yeah, we, we find them attractive because they're always just they're boys. So they're, they're so and immature so and immature. So immature. Yeah. yeah. But then she, so, but she, so she says that maybe that's why we find them so attractive and Pulaski's like, yeah, maybe that's why some of us, and I think she's like referring to Troy, that's why some of us find Will Riker so attractive. And Troy says back to her, yep, and that's why some of us find Kyle Riker so attractive, pointing out that Pulaski also seems to appreciate this trait. Yeah, and in the pre in the pre-chat before we started talking about this, I thought that she meant like, oh, and I also find Kyle Riker attractive. But I was like, oh, that's gross. Yeah. Why why would she's like actually underneath, I think he's kind of charming and yeah. cute. But I think your interpretation of it is better. No. The Troy that exists, at least in my head, no, she would not find yeah. Kyle Riker attractive. Anyways, this episode would definitely fail the Bechdel test. Oh my let's, gosh. Let's put yeah. it that way. Yeah. Yeah. We're in the Ambo Jitsu gymnasium now, and Riker finds his father. And they're standing at opposite sides of the ring. They're wearing, like, this armor. Yeah. Like, so one of them has, like, white armor on and one of them has, like, red armor on. My brother, I, I mentioned that we were doing this episode because I was chatting with him right before we started. My brother, Peter, who listens to all of our episodes yeah. while he's driving around. Hi, he's Peter. got long commutes for work. And so, hi, Peter. And so as uh, as he's driving around for work, he listens to our episodes. Nice. And he mentioned that, like, every time he watches this episode, he thinks about Mythbusters. Because on Mythbusters, anytime one of the experimenters, uh, Jamie, needed to get like beaten up or smashed by a thing, he would wear a red armor that basically looks exactly like <laughs> this suit. And he was like, oh, it's the Ambo Jitsu armor. 
Yeah. And they're each both holding a staff. One ends for smashing the other one. And the other kind of like senses where the other person is because they're actually like blindfolded by yeah. the helmets. They can't see. Yeah. So Kyle Riker refers to Anbo Jitsu as the ultimate evolution in the martial arts. Which is hilarious because they're just like smashing yeah, each like, other with sticks. Martial arts <laughs> is about form, right? And technique. It's not about who can beat up the other one the most without, you know, like it's it's ridiculous. He says that Will could never get used to the sightless factor or to losing. And Will is like, yeah, well, I've had 15 years to practice. Yeah, and he's thinking about his dad during those whole 15 years yeah, like, yes, in the Abu Jitsu gym. For sure. <laughs> so they they cover their eyes and they bow to each other and they say something in Japanese. I don't speak Japanese. According to INDB, what they're saying is, please be kind to me, but I cannot verify that. Oh, that's that's interesting in the context of this, of this yeah. match. Yeah. And then they go to town on each other. And very similar to maybe what they've the theme that they said previously about the pain stick ceremony is that they're they're letting out some of their deepest profound feelings in the midst of this combat. So Riker knocks his father out of the ring and then says, "You should have been the one to die, not her." And you're like, "Whoa, yeah, whoa." And then Kyle tells him, "Like, yeah, that's good. Get it all out." I honestly think it's not that it's not just that Riker needs to get out his frustrations. It's also that Kyle needs to realize that he messed up. Yeah. And so between fighting, Kyle says that Will was too young to understand. Yeah. And then he's like, and I was too hurt to try to explain anything at the same time, which is that's good. It's good to see. Yeah. He is starting to sort of show that he he did not. He sees that he didn't do a good job. And he says, yeah, she was your mother, but. She was my wife, and the only thing that kept me going after she died was you. And Will is like, well, you got, you had a weird way of showing that because he didn't take care of him. Yeah. And so then, then Kyle, this is like, Kyle gives up on these, these vulnerable moments pretty easily. He's like, well, maybe I am no father, and you're no son, and this fight is all we have left. So dramatic. So dramatic. Absolutely. Then Kyle knocks Will over and Will tells him to stop. And he says, that move was illegal. And Kyle's like, was it? Yeah. And so Will now realizes, like, wait a second. He's like, the reason I've never won any of these matches is that you would cheat. And then Kyle Riker admits, he's like, actually, I knew that I couldn't win against you once you were already 12 years old. But I needed to keep you interested and challenged. And then Kyle says that Will was barely out of diapers when his mother died. He's like, why are you feeling so upset about this? I was the one who loved her. She was like my my person and you couldn't even remember. That's such a weird flex. That is such a weird thing to say, yeah. To say to your child, I miss your parent more than you do, like that's a weird thing to say. Also, missing people isn't logical like that. Like, of course he misses her. He He's able to like see her as an idealized version. Because yes. she never abandoned him because she w- wasn't able to. She wasn't there to abandon him. Yeah, she becomes kind of perfect. Yeah, right, that's in, how in it works. Eyes. Yeah. So Kyle says that he should have explained it long ago, but it hurt too much. And he makes this comment that I think is is interesting. He says, "I, you know, I can talk to a whole room of admirals about anything in the galaxy, but I can't talk to you about how I feel. So Will's finally like, okay, well then tell me how you feel. Like, how do you feel? What's going on? Yeah. And Kyle says that he loves Will. And now everything's fine. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. <laughs> Will Will doesn't say that he loves Kyle. No, but he does allow Kyle to like, you know, yeah. hug him. He says him. he's glad he came. He's glad, and Will says he's like, okay, yeah. well, I'm glad you came. And yeah. I, it is kind of a quick, 
about face. The quick resolution, the of, yeah. The resolution of this fight. But, you know, maybe they sense that this is down here underneath and and, yeah. and it is Star Trek. So we got to finish things yeah, by the gotta end of the episode. Got to get it over so with, yeah. We got to get it over with. So it is, it's, it's good that they do get to this point, though, and that they're able to, as Kyle said earlier, let their shields down. Yeah. So we cut to the bridge. Worf says to Picard that the Starbase Montgomery's briefing specialist, so that was Kyle, and the analytical team, and that's the engineers, that they have beamed down. Picard asks what the analytical team found, and LaForge says their suggestion is was to reprogram the entire system to correct the readout variables. And Picard is like, oh, isn't that what Data recommended? <laughs> and Data does this little, like, shrug. Yeah, he's like, yeah, that's, that is what I said. And it was nice of Picard to acknowledge that since it was Picard's idea to come all the way here to begin with. Yes. Yeah, and Picard's like, well, at least this gave Riker some time to think about his promotion. And now that he's accepted it, we're going to leave him here. So I can you imagine watching this for the first time and being like, oh my gosh, Riker is leaving the Enterprise. That's it. He's leaving the show. He said his goodbyes. He's talked to everyone. Yeah. Uh, and that's it. But then we go to the bridge and Riker enters the bridge. Yeah. And he says that with Picard's permission, he has decided to stay on the Enterprise. Yeah. And Picard says, yeah, permission granted. So they set out on their next destination. Yeah. And then Picard asks what prompted Riker's change of heart. Because he, he really had decided at first that he was going to take the command. And Riker says, motivated self-interest. Right now, the best place for me to be is here. That's kind of circling back to what we said at the start. Yeah. If you can realize where a place is healthier for you, yeah. even if it may not be the decision that's right for ambition or career advancement, maybe that's a more important thing. Yeah, I... I wonder if part of it was sort of seeing who his dad is and the, the conversation with Pulaski and maybe thinking like, I don't want to be that. I don't want to be like a super ambitious, schmoozy person who doesn't actually show care for the people in my life. In my life, yeah. Yeah. One thing I did want to mention, uh, so this, the title of this is The Icarus Factor. And right. Icarus is a character in Greek mythology. I don't know a whole lot about Greek mythology. I definitely went through a phase where I was very interested in it, but I have forgotten most of that. But uh, so the, the character of Icarus, he and his father, I believe, uh, Daedalus, were condemned to live inside this labyrinth that they couldn't escape. And so Daedalus was an inventor he built wings for himself and for Icarus out of feathers and wax. So the idea was that they could fly out of the labyrinth and then they could be free. Daedalus said, be careful, don't go too high and don't go too low because if you go too high, the sun will melt the wax and if you go too low, the, the wings will get wet. Icarus took off. But then he was like, no, I, I can fly really well. I'm going to go super high. And so he ended up flying too close to the sun. The wax melted. And I believe he then fell into the, the ocean uh, to his death. And so I think Icarus is sort of, you know, he's a cautionary tale of like, listen to your father, but also maybe a sort of more general cautionary tale of like, becoming an adult is hard and <laughs> we're gonna mess up yeah or maybe like we were saying earlier about career ambition it's mm. you know because in a way this is a I, I always took Icarus as being a story of not letting ambition get to your yeah. head in yeah a way. and so maybe in a sense it's like 
he ended up trying to escape a place, but that wasn't enough, and he ended up like dead or whatever. So yeah. maybe there's a story here. Riker is doing the same thing. He's Riker's not making this decision out of ambition. He's doing it out of a place of home. Yeah. And deciding to stay where he is now. And and again, hey, being first officer on the Enterprise is no slouch. No. So no. It's it's a pretty prestigious position. Yeah. Anything else? Any other thoughts before we end it? I again I, I like this episode better than I remembered it being. Yeah, me too. There's more nuance in it than I thought there was going to be, and I, I appreciated that. It might be one of these episodes I go back to more often. Yeah. We've got some good ones coming up. We have this one and then the next two are also some good ones. We're in a pretty good stretch right now. The first couple seasons are a little uneven, as we have discussed, but but there are some some good ones. And uh, one of my favorites coming up. Yes. We're introducing a new adversary. Yes. One of the scariest in all science fiction. Yeah. So that's coming up. Absolutely. I thank you so much for listening to this episode of With the First Link. If you liked what you heard, please feel free to leave us a five-star rating and a review on Apple Podcasts or your podcast provider of choice. Our cover art was created by Nathan Nunn, and you can find more of his work at nathannunn.ca. Our theme song is An Amazing Adventure by Flame Lion Studio. You can follow us on Instagram and on Twitter at FirstLinkPod, or send us an email at firstlinkpod at gmail.com to let us know what process you go through when you make big decisions. I'm Ruthie. And I'm Matthew. And if you have some friends that are acting grumpy lately, maybe see if they need a trip to the spa. Or hey, maybe some paint sticks. <laughs>